I think the one mistake in the early days we made was we started adding features very fast. This was in maybe in the 2013 time frame. You know, until then we had been more measured. We got some funding, we got some people and so on. We had more resources and we had a fairly robust way of figuring out what we needed to build. We just did too much of the roadmap too fast within an 18-month period. It ended up in a number of features being released, you know, in the 2013-14 time frame, many of which were not complete. This caused fairly bad backlash. In fact, if I, I would say set us back by at least a year or two and we to recover from that. My name is Srini Srinivasan. I am the CTO and founder of Aerospike. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried to begin. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Srini Srinivasan built the platform for multi-models and real-time, low-latency data. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Srini Srinivasan grew up in India during a time when you could go do whatever you wanted during the summer. So he explored and experienced many things, tech and non-tech. He was very into sports and competition and wanted to be a cricket superstar. He didn't start coding until he went off to college, and interestingly enough, there were many startups formed from his class. In the early days, he really loved the assembly language, which I can attest is not the norm. Srini was working in a company focused on mobile and ad tech-related work. During this time, he discovered that all database tech existing were lacking. He and his co-founder decided that they were the right pair to build a better system. This is the creation story of Aerospike. Aerospike has been focused on building out a high-performance database for, I would say, real-time decision-making applications. We are especially focused in completing a bunch of, I would say, analysis on data, you know, enabling applications to analyze data in a short amount of time to make a decision. Think of it as real-time bidding in ad tech, fraud detection in financial services, you know, gaming, as well as e-commerce where huge spikes of access happens 
over a short period of time. And all of these require a database system which can handle enormous levels of personalization for hundreds of millions, if not billions of users. And these decisions have to be made correctly and fast and with very high uptime. So if the system doesn't stay up, you lose business basically. So that's the problem we essentially wanted to tackle when we started it. And the, re the way we came to it, right? My co-founder and I at the time, we were working in different companies focused on mobile technologies and ad tech related work where we discovered that all of the existing database technologies that we knew didn't actually work out and new technologies were coming out almost on a yearly basis. So we decided, as founders usually do, you know, we were a little bit, I would say, overconfident. Um, and we said we could build a better system than anybody else. So we started Aerospike. So tell me about the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build? What sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Every story is unique, right, in a startup. The first version of it, I was not even involved, actually, because my co-founder had worked with a third person who had built some kind of caching system based on SSDs and how you could somehow do certain kinds of caches faster and better. And that project was pretty much had reached dead end of sorts. And that's when I met my co-founder of Aerospike. And he was doing this work. And I basically, after discussing with him, we came to a decision. In fact, I drove this to some extent because I am by training a database person. I have a computer science degree in undergrad and a PhD in computer science focused on databases from the University of Wisconsin. I looked at the core raw technology that my co-founder Brian Bulkowski is his name was working with and I said, look, you know, I'm interested in this, but only if we build a true database for the long term. And Brian was down with that. And that's how we started. And then we said, okay, you know what, we're gonna do this properly. We started a company. And then, then we wrote what we officially call a 2.0 because we had already had some code base before. So we started off with the 2.0 version of the product and, and we rewrote a huge portions of it, obviously. The way we figured out what to build was we interviewed about 40 leaders in various industries who were all in the Bay Area at the time in various domains, you know, and then we made some predictions in terms of which of them will be able to use a product like Aerospike. By the way, the original name for the company was Citrus Leaf and the name was changed to Aerospike a couple of years later. But the more important thing is we looked at all these 40 or 50 interviews that we did, we organized it and discovered that ad tech was going to be the place where we could immediately find a beachhead. So the version 2.0 that we released essentially implemented features. Even to this day, it's being heavily used, not just in ad tech, but across the, across the board. Those features were all chosen uh, based on our interviews and what we learned about the various domains that could use technology like ours. And then our first deployment or the proof of concept started in, I think it was almost like April or so with an ad tech company. So we had predicted it quite well. So it took us about six months, I would say, to rewrite the code from scratch again. You know, we used some, but I rewrote most of my pieces. And it was all written in C. And the hard part of writing in C is you have to build your own tools, so to speak. There are no libraries that you can use, like in other languages like C++ and Java. But it comes with uh, with the advantage that when you write code in C, you can write it for the purpose that it's intended without any interference, you know, without, from all the libraries and so on. So, so that's why one of the reasons why 
our product is very carefully engineered, I would say, to produce the kind of results that our application writers love. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble, super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash code story. So you've got your MVP and it's working. How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think what, what I'm curious about there is how you went about building your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Aerospike. A lot of that decision, I think my co-founder Brian drove with a lot of contribution from me, of course. And, and, and the philosophy that we both of us used was very simple. We would go analyze the market that we wanted to approach. We would also look at our existing customers to see where the gaps were. The next step we said, you know, in, a, in an intentional way, was we were going to expand it to places like financial services, telcos, e-commerce, and so on. So when we had those as targets, we were able to figure out what the gaps were in terms of what our product provided versus what additional features, functionality that these particular areas. And then and the good news about this is, since we were already talking with potential prospects as we were working on these new features, it was fairly easy for us to have validation in terms of like whether those people adopted it or not. We would not build a feature just for a single customer. To some extent, we were a little bit of the Steve Jobs mind, you know, school of thought. Steve Jobs' school of thought is the person who builds the product has the responsibility to figure out what the market needs, and we have to build it. 
sometimes people say this as, well, we know better than the customer. And it's not as simple as that. We better be the experts in the field if we are to build a product which other people are going to use, which means we need to necessarily know more than any specific customer. We cannot know more than the entire market. That's kind of hard. But then that's determined by how we drive the product and how we capture the market, right? So there's a lot of thinking which goes into how we want to shepherd the product through the market, take the feedback and run it. We don't need to be told what to do. We need to figure out what to do in collaboration with the whole market and the prospects and so on. And that's the process we still follow. Okay, and let's switch to team. You, you, you mentioned we. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? If there's one thing I can say I have learned from this entire effort over the last, I don't know, it's been going on for 12 to 13 years now, is that for a software company like ours, it's all about the people. Without having the right people collaborating to solve the problem, it is virtually impossible to achieve the goals that we set ourselves out to do, right? So how do I figure out if a person is going to be successful? This is something we have wrestled with pretty much from the first hire we did. On the engineering side and the operation side, right, at Yahoo, I had responsibility for running the service as well as building the product, designing it, building it, testing it, deploying it, and then supporting it. So I had very good knowledge of the entire ecosystem of building something and running it in production at scale with high uptime, because that's kind of was my responsibility, which I had done for years. And Brian had his own set of experiences. So we knew exactly who would work out in the technical roles. It was easy for us. The harder part for us was to figure out how to get good people in sales and marketing. How do we make the entire company work well? Because it's very easy to fall into certain traps where we say we built the product, so it must be the sales problem because they don't know how to sell it or vice versa. So how do you collaborate across these teams? And that, I think, meant that we needed people who were open-minded, both on the engineering side, the operation side, the support side, sales and marketing. And that is what we learned basically over time is when we had people who are problem solvers and who are basically fearless in addressing issues without becoming defensive and so on, they're just open-minded and, and, and engage with a level of clarity of thought, if you will, so it is mostly the capability of the person as well as the, their ability to learn from others who are also experts in fields they may not be themselves be expert in and somehow synthesize something better. And those are the kinds of people it took us in the early days a little bit of time to find. You know, it took us a while to find the right salesperson, for example. Uh, it even resulted in me running sales for a year in the middle when we were, went through some of these transitions. But you got to do what you have to do, right? As a founder and as, a, as a, in a startup, you have to somehow get that baby to survive <laughs> and grow and, and you do whatever it takes. But then you need to also get the right people on board who are able to take it to the next level. And that's we've managed to do that quite well so far. The most important things I have learned in Aerospike is about how to work with people in areas where I, which I'm not familiar with and learn from them and also impart my knowledge to people in the other side. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. 
Terso makes it easy. With the developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast.ai is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's flip to scalability then. So did you build Aerospike to scale efficiently from day one? Or have you been fighting this as you grow in, in any sort of capacity? At the time we built the product, we could scale better than any of the existing technologies other than custom technologies, people like you know Meta and Google and so on built, right? I mean, they can scale. So we're not talking about those. We're talking about general purpose products which are available in the marketplace, places like Cassandra, Redis, you know, MongoDB, you know, Aerospike, you know, Yugabyte, CockroachDB, doesn't matter. Our goal was to handle a certain kind of use case better than anybody else. And I still remember in the first deployment, the solution that we replaced, and, and we, our, our promise was that we would be 10 times better than the other solutions. And we will also be an order of magnitude cheaper in terms of hardware. So that, that the order of magnitude cheaper is very simple because we essentially leverage Flash for real-time data in addition to DRAM. And Flash is, by nature, the, the price per bit for Flash is actually much lower than that for DRAM. So we get the 10x in terms of cost very easily. But then we also 10x better in terms of performance, right? So when we ran that benchmark, right, we, we did the deployment or whatever in the first customer, they saw, it was, it was really an interesting time, they saw 10x reduction in their timeouts. They were timing out too much. That's why they were looking for an alternate solution at the scale that they were running in. So we could easily handle that scale. And that was kind of important. But it's not a static thing, right? So as the systems evolve, we got new technology coming out. So we keep up with this. So we are focused on leveraging the hardware advances for the purpose of the kind of applications that are run on Aerospike. So we started off with, of course, the basic SSDs, and then NVMe SSDs showed up. We, we basically adapted to that. We did benchmarks. We worked with all of the vendors to make sure that that was successful. Micron, Intel, pick, pick the vendor. Samsung, for example, we worked with all of them to make those technologies work for our applications. We also worked with the Intel's Optane persistent memory. We had a version for that. We were, we were early with that. You know, we work with cloud vendors today. The result is 
there has been no customer who has started on Aerospike who has needed to go to another platform. So you don't really need to re-platform in the kinds of use cases that we do, even though your scale is going up 10x, 100x. Many of our customers have gone up 10x or 100x in their scale over the last 10 years. Early customers have been with us for 12 years in deployment, for example. And this is is both an original goal, because I think the original pitch that Brian and I would make is, if you want to get to Google scale without spending the kind of money Google's spending on this, then you got to use Aerospike because that's the only way you can compete. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? The single most important thing I really appreciate is that so many of our customers depend on Aerospike for the most mission critical of applications. Essentially, they have bet their business on Aerospike. A small company, you know, from day one, these are the applications which run billion dollar enterprises. That is on the business side is what I I think I'm most proud of what Aerospike has accomplished so far. We have a reputation for working in these use cases and we do our best to support customers as they go through their inflection points, right? So that is the, on the business side, that's the most I'm proud of. On the other side, our collaborative way of working has enabled us to come up with solutions to really hard problems. And that's actually built up a really good team culture, which enables us not just to do a better job, but also to work well with customers to help them achieve their goals. Those are the two things I would think stand out to me. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I think the one mistake in the early days we made was we started adding features very fast. This was in maybe in the 2013 timeframe. You know, until then we had been more measured in terms of what we had added. But then we got some funding, we got some people and so on. We had more resources and we had, as, and as, as we spoke earlier, fairly robust way of figuring out what we needed to build, you know, in terms of the roadmap. We just did too much of the roadmap too fast within an 18 month period. It ended up in a number of features being released, you know, in the 2013-14 timeframe, many of which were not complete. This caused fairly bad backlash. In fact, I would say set us back at least a year or two and we to recover from that. That's definitely one of the mistakes we did, which I don't think we've done since then, obviously, because it hurts. This will be fun to talk about. What does the future look like for the product and for the team? I've, I've worked in database technology for a long time. So I kind of know it is very hard for an enterprise to use a product for long periods of time because they don't necessarily satisfy their needs. Now, if you look at the most successful database products in the world, they have been around for several decades. So you pick an Oracle, you pick a mainframe, like IBM DB2, whatever, you end up using that technology for at least a 20 to 25 year period. So if I look at it from the product point of view, what I'd like Aerospike to be is basically achieve that milestone. That is, it will be the product people pick you know, instead of picking a mainframe, which is kind of technology, which is not necessarily evolving to the modern world, but we can work on cloud, we, we can, but we can bring the same level of robustness to running mission critical applications that people will pick Aerospike for a couple of decades, right? That is, to me, 
the most consequential thing that we can bring to the table as a database for a new class of applications. That is definitely really important. On the business side, what I would like to see is Aerospike essentially come into its own, so to speak, in terms of managing its business, being a master of our destiny, and figuring out how we can apply this technology that we have invented in more and more areas broadly to impact industry in even in large measure, so to speak, right? In terms of providing that level of insurance, if you will, so that the, the various applications that are scaling up don't hit any kind of technolo technology limits if you use Aerospike so that they can grow their business and compete in the marketplace in the best way possible. And that will essentially lead to Aerospike, I think, growing you know, to a revenue of a hundred million or a billion dollars a year, right? That's kind of the business goal actually for the company. Okay, so let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something that you look up to and why. I've been fortunate in, in, in the database community in Wisconsin where I, you know, there were so many leaders. I remember when I was doing my PhD there, there was a program, you know, this program in Wisconsin was run by Dave DeWitt and Mike Carey. You know, these are like very accomplished database researchers and technical leaders in the field. And they would invite all of these people to come and talk about various technology challenges and research challenges. You know, these are all, these were all like Middle Eastern database field. And there were similar kind of programs elsewhere, I'm sure. But this, well, I was in Wisconsin and this, this, I think this affected me a lot. So I definitely wanted to impact the field. Now, the interesting thing is there were some people who were into research, they were impacting it quite well and so on, but there's one person who stands out. It happens to be Mike Stonebreaker, who is the PhD advisor for my advisor, right? So Mike Carey's advisor was Mike Stonebreaker. And Stonebreaker actually won the Turing Award in 2015, I believe. The thing I took away from Professor Stonebreaker was something very simple. He was a researcher of at the highest level, if you will. You know, most, one of the most accomplished researchers ever in systems, which is what excited me. It's all about systems, right? C programmers love system software. Mike Stonebreaker actually built companies. Not only did he research, he's founded like seven or eight database companies. Most of them have been successful. They have built products, they have shipped them and so on. So I would definitely see, want to do something like that, you know, basically build a product, sell it to all the enterprises and see how good we are, right? So, so that's definitely a huge inspiration. The other one is Donald Hadderley. He is the father of DB2 at IBM. I worked with Don in IBM. He was kind enough to spend time with me. I was very young then, and a lot more, I would say, impulsive. And in fact, I left IBM and went to startups and so on. And I, but I've always kept in touch with Don because Don had a certain attitude, right? He knew how to start from nothing, which is kind of what he did at DB2, and build a product and sell it into the industry. Even though it was at IBM, at IBM that he did it, he operated like he was in a startup. And having worked in startups afterwards, I always realized that Don was doing inside IBM what people were doing outside IBM in startups. So he's an advisor to us at Aerospike. He was the first person I actually called when we started Aerospike. He will share with me his knowledge about how these stages of, of a product goes through and, and, and link it to what we are going through. So it gives me a level of confidence that we're probably not screwing up, you know, <laughs> because that's one of the worries you always have. Okay, okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. 
If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Could have been something that worked, even worked pretty well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. We underfunded the company in the early days. We, we would probably have gone for bigger funding rounds earlier in the game so we could compete more effectively in the marketplace on the non-technical aspects of things like marketing and so on. I think that has definitely been one of the uh, one of the things I would definitely change. You know, otherwise, I think there are a lot of things. I mean, the other thing I would change is be more careful about adding new features. You know, would be a little bit more circumspect. And we, we of course, have learned it. That is, that is less of, I think, of an important issue than the funding. Because if you have more funds earlier in the cycle for a startup and you use them wisely, it, it reduces risk in the long term. You know, so that's, that's, that'll probably be my single most important thing is to get more funds earlier into the company. Last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? The key thing about doing something new is it requires a level of passion that allows you to overcome the hurdles. So the first thing I would say is stick with it. And the second thing is going to be a little contradictory. Evaluate it all the time to see if it is still the right thing to do. So both of them go together. you got to keep reevaluating that this is the right thing to do. And you have to stick with it beyond all reasonable levels of objection to it, okay? Because there were people who came to me and, and, and Brian and said, you know, I'm a guy who always encourages people to do stuff, new stuff, but for you guys, you shouldn't do what you're thinking of doing. <laughs> and we're looking at it going, like, what's wrong with us? We took a really hard problem to solve. You know, everybody was telling us to do something else. But, but our view was, hey, we can do this. We know other people are not doing this, but we're capable of doing this. You need to really know that. You need to know that you can do it, even if the whole world says you can't. I think that's fantastic. Well, Srini, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Aerospike. Thank you, Noah. I appreciate all your questions. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.